Welcome to episode 17, Failed Book Adaptations. On this episode, Johnny and Eddie discuss movies made from literary masterpieces that didn't cut the mustard. Johnny talks about authors that disliked the movies made from their books, and Eddie shares a few Disney movies that flopped at the box office. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage, take a seat, and put up your feet as we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg, and we're talking movies. Well, Eddie, before we get going, I'm going to bring up something. I said when we first started this that sometimes we'd talk about books and other things going on. And I've, I've read a couple of books recently. In fact, I'm in the middle of one. And the reason I like these kind of books is, one, it talks about the actor, their career. But when you read these books, not only about their life, it's about the movies and what went on when they're trying to make this movie or why they decided to make the movie or why they turned a movie down and somebody else became famous or why they took it, somebody else famous turned it down and they became even more famous. So the two books I'm talking about that I've read recently are by the same author. And if you're interested in any of this, you might want to get hold of one of, this, this, one of the books this guy's written. His name is Mark Elliott. And he's written a host of books on other actors. But the two I recently read, and I'm in the process of reading the biography of Clint Eastwood's life, and it's called American Rebel, The Life of Clint Eastwood. It's terrific. All the stories about how he got his first start as a contract player with Universal, getting one-liner as like a lab technician in the old monster movie Revenge of the Creature, getting his start with Rawhide, then deciding after he's seeing how other directors are too slow or, or butcher a particular project that he wants to become a director and started his own movie company, Malpaso. The other one by Mark Elliott that I read was about someone who's no longer around but was a pretty famous actor, and that, of course, is Charlton Heston. The name of the book is Charlton Heston, Hollywood's Last Icon covers his career. Of course, he became famous after he played Moses in the, third, uh, the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, Ben-Hur really made him a star. And then how his career kind of fluctuated, and eventually he ended up doing uh, some TV roles, TV movies, and then became famous as the president for some time of the National Rifle Association. But anyway, the backstory on the movies, how they got into the movies, how it was made, all the budgeting that Eddie loves, uh, it's really fascinating. I have a so, question. Yes, sir. Uh, does Mr. Elliot, any of his books, are they available on audiobook? I believe they are. Because they're they're readily available. He's done others, like I say, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, Cary Grant. He's done a whole host of all the famous people, many famous people, and he's written one. This is... Uh, in your bailiwick, Walt Disney, Hollywood's Dark Prince. Oh, jeez. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So, very interesting. So, he has done some really good, and the thing, reason is, uh, as I told Eddie off, off, off mic here, that reading these books, and particularly this one with, with Eastwood, because he's such an interesting guy anyway, and his movies, we, we like a lot of his movies, uh, it's like eating popcorn, I mean, or cotton candy. I mean, you just... This thing just flies because there's so much stuff there and it's just so fun. If you like movies, these are the kind of books you'll like to read. Anyway, there's a couple. 
So the question is, Eddie, where are we going today? Well, Johnny, uh, we've talked about doing this a couple of weeks ago, and something changed it. Can't remember what it was. Oh, I remember. We went to see Angels Has Fallen, and yep. we ended up doing uh, the Fallen series. So the the name of this particular episode is we're talking failed book adaptations and we're going to have to we we're doing some editing because there's probably more than what we're dealing with we've selected these for a couple of different reasons personal if you will and uh, just to hone it down so eddie you want to you want to start with one of them or you want me to start how do you want to do this well i'll do one and then we'll yeah we'll bounce back so the majority of the ones that i have to share are actually Disney failures. Flops, I guess. Disney had failures? Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, so the first one I'm going to go over is uh, Treasure Planet. It was an animated movie, 2002, and it is based on Robert Louis Stevenson's classic swashbuckling pirate novel, Treasure Island. And this is a kind of a twist on it. It's more of a sci-fi type of thing. The, the movie follows restless teen Jim Hawkins mm-hmm. on a fantastic journey across the universe as cabin boy aboard a majestic space galleon. He's befriended by the, the ship's cook, cyber cook, John Silver. And uh, Jim yeah. blossoms under his guidance yeah jim blossoms he grows jim hawkins he's his mentor yeah i've read the i read the original this is a big stretch from the original robert louis stevenson treasure island but it's been updated for sci-fi versions well yeah i i think so because they come into contact with an alien crew a black hole a space Mm -hmm. storm and it's uh it kind of bombed i mean i never i actually haven't seen it well, I'll tell you a little secret about this. If we go back, and we didn't check this. This is off the top of my head now. Disney made a live-action film back in the 50s on the real book following the Treasure Island with uh, Long John Silver is played by Robert Newton, who was an English actor. There was one made back in the 30s with uh, Jackie Cooper and Wallace Beery, a famous actor, but they did that, and Bobby Driscoll, who was a Disney, one of those Disney contract kids, I guess, played Jim Hawkins. So then they've taken this, you know, it's more right. modern, and they've taken it into, what, space, I guess, huh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The final frontier. <laughs> Disney spent $140 million, $140 oh. million, and it grossed only $110 million. Well... And with marketing, they lost $70 million. <laughs> so they weren't too happy. It's got a cool cast, voice cast. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is uh, Jim Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Emma Thompson mm-hmm. is Captain Amelia. And Martin Short. But they're funny guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Emma Thompson, she's awesome. guess they just couldn't uh, take it to the finish line. I guess. Well, one of the things we would encourage, particularly our younger people out there, Read the original. You read the classics. <laughs> that's the old teacher speaking, I guess. Well, you're a history teacher. Yeah, that's right. But I we had to do a lot of literature, too. So, yeah. History teachers don't like English teachers, I thought. 
Ah, uh, but it, you've got to understand that, that that's a whole different subject. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on, yes. It's about movies. Do you want to do one? Or you want me to do well, another one? I'll, I'll do one. I'll do one. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do a general thing. Since we talked about, since we talked about a, a book there uh, that is a classic that they've updated. When they take these classics, and there's there's one that uh, talking about uh, Dr. Seuss. These are more modern classics, but everybody's uh, many people have seen the cartoon versions of. The Lorax or uh, the, the Grinch, so on and so forth. There were a couple of attempts to make, and one that's the Cat in the Hat, which is another classic character, and it was done with uh, who was that? That was was that Jim Carrey? Uh, Cat in the Hat was Michael Myers. Michael Myers did that one. The Grinch was done with Jim Carrey, was it not? Jim Carrey. And both of those were not too well received. The one that jumps out at me was the cat in the hat and it got a in doing a little research on this because I did not watch it because I did not want to watch it frankly pretty well trashed I, I've seen it a couple of times what was your version what was your opinion it was, of it it was cuckoo yeah yeah I mean, crazy Seuss was such an interesting writer and carried such a message in the simple language in the rhyming language that when you try to translate it, I think the cartoons work for the most part that I have seen where they've done it. But any of these attempts to do it, and another one that they turned into a cartoon, which was actually had a political motivation, and I talked off camera, was Gulliver's Travels, the old Daniel Defoe book that was written in the 18th century, which was really a political satire about the four different places that Emmanuel Gulliver visits was to really point out some of the Irish political problems. And when they turned it into a cartoon, they always deal with the part where he went to Lilliput, where he is big and they're small and they tie him down. Well, it's still the issue of dealing with someone who's different than you are and so on. I saw the preview, I did not watch the movie, but I can tell you from the translation and the distortion of the original, I wouldn't have wanted to watch it anyway. And that's another bias, obviously, on my part. I think um, Jack Black was in that one. He was. And it it was a little over the top, almost as if he was given some creative freedom to improvise a little, but it didn't work. Usually it works, but not with that one. I saw the the trailer, and that's when I was kind of appalled, personally appalled. But uh, the only movie I like Jack Black, and this is an aside, has nothing to do with this, School of Rock. I thought that was a terrific film. He is also really good in... Jumanji. Jumanji, I know he's in that one. Okay, my next one is uh, another Disney attempt to do a book adaptation. For every Disney failure, or, yeah, failure, I guess I'd say, there's like 10 home runs, you know? So just want to make sure I put that out there, because I am a Disney fan. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay, so Around the World in 80 Days is 2004, uh, not to be... Confused with the 1956 version, which won five Oscars, Best Picture, Screen Adaptation, Best Editing, Cinematography, 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 there you go, all right, Um, (laughs) so we're not talking about that one, Uh, this one had an all-star cast, of course, based on the adaptation of Jules Verne's novel, 
Around the World in 80 Days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had an all-star cast, Jackie Chan, Steve Coogan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Cleese, Owen and Luke Wilson, Jim Broadbent. Broadbent, yep. Mm-hmm. Kathy Bates, Richard Branson was in there, mm-hmm. Macy Gray. I mean, it was. it seemed like it had been a successful comic, you know, mm-hmm. out-of-the-park type of thing. But unfortunately, neither the critics nor the audience were impressed. It was criticized for having almost nothing to do with its source material. And although it tried to infuse the story with comic uh, and steampunk elements, it was largely unimpressive. It cost 110, which I'm surprised I thought it would cost a lot more with all those stars in it. $110 million, uh, but failed and only earned 72. Well, this goes back to a couple of things that, you know, I've already, I sound like a broken record. Some things just don't need to be remade. Now, I understand that the 1956, which was a fairly good movie, it was done by, in Todd A.O., it was done by Michael Todd, the late Michael Todd, that was Elizabeth Taylor's husband, big producer, and so on. And there's a value to having it updated so that new audiences, younger people, will go and see it. I encourage them to go back and read the book. But some things just should be left alone, is what I like Gone with the Wind or Citizen Kane. I mean, you just leave these things alone, find something else. But there was an article I was reading recently. These executives are so concerned about cost and getting the big numbers back that it's very difficult even to get an original script looked at and taking any chances. So they will look to the book, a big book that goes on. We talked about Beloved before that was a very popular book, was a disaster. There's an adaptation that didn't work. We've already been over that ground. You said it made, it it cost like three times whatever they got back at the box office. Yeah, something like that. It was ugly. It was ugly. So, yeah. And that had Oprah in it, which you think it would draw a lot of of people to that. Exactly. Okay, your turn. All right, I'm going to do, I'll do two quick ones here. And these are based on very prominent authors' books. The first is The Time Machine, which was redone in 2002. And that's based on the H.G. Wells novel about the guy who develops the time machine to go back in, or travel ahead, actually. Is this Hot Tub Time Machine? No, it's not Hot Tub Time Machine. That wasn't a a literary... uh, Masterpiece. Well, well, this movie was made in 1960 with Rod Taylor appeared in it along with Sebastian Cabot and so on. And he uh, goes so far forward as 804,000, the year 804,000 and something. And he finds these people. I loved H.G. Wells. And if you've read War of the Worlds or even, as I said to to Eddie earlier, if you even like the Tom Cruise update of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, that's a pretty terrific adaptation. That was acceptable. I like that film. It's pretty scary because the original was. This is a weak, weak story, I thought, and uh, this update did disastrously. I don't think I saw War of the Worlds. With Tom Cruise? No. Oh, you should see that. It's really updated. It's because it, it's these, the Martians land and these creatures, these big machines come out and uh, it takes place... When Wells wrote it, it was following up on World War One, and there was a real concern about, you know, what would happen to the world. And so these creatures come and get out in these machines, and they go through the countryside, destroying things, killing people. And it's pretty scary. Hmm. It takes place around Baltimore, I believe, in the Cruise movie. It's been a while since it's changed. But the machines are really, it's gory. But it's pretty good. 
Uh, what I would suggest, since this, this was with Guy Pierce, it did not do well. There was another story taken off of this, and I thought it was an original screenplay, but I double-checked, and it was based... The movie is called Time After Time, 1979. Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, and David Warner. Uh, it's based on a sci-fi novel by a guy by the name of Carl Alexander. And apparently they've made it into a TV series, Time After Time. In this version, it is H.G. Wells himself, who is in the time machine, chasing Jack the Ripper to modern day, well, 1979 modern day, San Francisco. And it's a pretty good little film. Sidebar on this is the fact that Malcolm McDowell met Mary Steenburgen during the filming, and they got married. Of course, she's now married to uh, Ted Danson. They, oh, yeah, that's right. And Malcolm McDowell, uh, but they met in that movie and were married and husband and wife for some time. But that's a pretty good film. Now, the other one that I'm going to say, because this happens to be a favorite book of mine, and like many people who like the book, they're not even sure why they like the book, but it becomes, it's The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. The 2013 version, which I have seen, was done by Lerman, the guy who did Moulin Rouge. He also did Australia. And he's always doing over-the-top, very glamorous stuff. And he took this thing and kind of over, well, most of the critics thought it was overblown a bit. You had Tobey Maguire playing Nick Carraway. You have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio playing Gatsby. This is the second time this film was made. The first time was 1974 with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow playing his love interest. The gist of the story, there's some tragedy involved, but it's basically unrequited love by Gatsby for Daisy Buchanan, who's married to another guy. She's married to uh, Joel Edgerton. In this version, in the first version, it was Bruce Dern. But both movies, I think the first one is better than the second one, as much as I love DiCaprio. But neither of them really get, I don't know, you're watching a movie of something that you really can't put on screen. Excuse me. The essence of the book, when you read the book, it's something gets you. When you watch the movies, it doesn't. And that's all I can say. So I don't think either of those adaptations worked. And I, it's, Gatsby's a book that I reread periodically. Uh, so Johnny's very passionate about this. So uh, <laughs> if you were here, you could see his hands are starting to move and he hit the mic there. But. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. But it is, it is, uh, it's, it's a book that, uh, and it's a very slim volume, as you would say, compared to some of the other classics. And it's a 20th century classic and the greatest book that, well, you could argue if you're a Scott Fitzgerald fan, uh, I think it's his best book. But anyway, so there's that. Alrighty. Staying uh, in the world of Disney, my next one is called John Carter. Huge movie. Huge budget. A lot of stars in it. First of all, John Carter is played by a relatively unknown person, unless you know this person. Tyler Kitsche, K-I-T-S-C-H. Yeah, I know that name, but I have no idea... Who he is, and let's before you pr proceed. You and I both agree that there's nothing wrong with a newcomer. Sometimes, man, it, it, they hit it out of the park and say, "Where did this guy come from?" I mean, that's how some of these guys get discovered. They get one opportunity and they take it. This didn't work out that way, did it? No. <laughs> uh, 
So you also have Lynn Collins, William Defoe. Yep, good actor. Thomas Hayden Church. He's a funny guy. Hell yeah. He's been in some pretty good films, too. And somebody who this spring was in the best movie ever made. Shazam. Here it comes. I knew it. Uh, someone that you like, actually, Mr. Mark Strong. Oh, he, yeah, yeah well, I told you, he's one of my, one of my fave, kind of semi-bad guy, interesting character. Did, did I say he was in the best movie ever made this spring? Say it again. You'd love to say okay. it. Okay. Mark Strong, he, he was in the movie that came out this spring that was the best movie ever made. Shazam. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. So this is all based on Edgar Rice Burroughs' Barsoom Pulp series? What the heck is that? Well, Rice Burroughs, of course, is more famous for writing Tarzan. Most people would know Tarzan. So somebody looked back in the... Gee, this guy who wrote Tarzan wrote some other stuff. Let's go get it. And it didn't work out so well, it looks like. I mean, it's... Uh, here, here's a little plot thing, that, I mean, a couple sentences. He's transported to Barsoom. A Civil War vet discovers a barren planet seemingly inhabited by 12-foot-tall barbarians. Finding himself prisoner of these creatures, he escapes only to encounter... Wula, and a princess in desperate need of a savior. So they were really, really counting on this. Disney was counting on this to be their competing, basically, with Star Wars. Now, of course, this is back when, before they owned Star Wars, but that's what they were hoping. They were hoping this thing was destined to be a Star Wars movies and TV shows and all that good stuff. But unfortunately, it failed to connect with the audience John Carter made $284 million. Ooh. Unfortunately, production and marketing cost $350 million. Oh. They lost just about $100 million on this, and it became one of their largest financial disappointment. And actually, this replaces the, and, and in a little bit I'll talk about the, the, the previous biggest flop from Disney, but this, this replaced that $100 million. That's a biggie. I wonder if heads rolled on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You know, the, the money is... I'll, I'll say something about the differential in budgets here a little later on one of these other films I'm talking about. Well, you know, you just you mentioned something, and there's there's an old saying, you know, if you can't beat them, you buy them out. Exactly. And maybe that's what, <laughs> and that's what they're doing. And that's what Disney has done. You know, if you're... There's a lot of business competition. You keep... I can't get past these guys, so why don't we just buy them? Then we don't have to worry about their competition anymore. <laughs> we got the money. We just don't have, the, the obviously, the brains to compete with them well enough. So let's just wipe them out and take them over. And, this and you, movie was made in 2012. So I know. It's fairly... I, within I remember, a few years of this movie, a billion-something dollars to your friend George Lucas. I saw... And I saw some of the trailer stuff. The, the, obviously, I saw some of the marketing that they were spending on. Right. I didn't see it, but neither did anybody else. So, although the $250 million or whatever they took in isn't is something to sneeze at. No. Well, that's true. <laughs> I didn't see it. And, you know, we go to see all the Disney movies. So, You know, I yield to you on all the Disney stuff, man. It's It's... That's your, uh, your realm. It's the magical, most mm-hmm. magical place 
on Earth, I think. Is Someday that you'll have to talk about a travel log. You have to give us a report on travel logs and you know Disney travel log. Very expensive. You, you need <laughs> you need two hundred and fifty million dollars to go to yeah, Disney. Yeah, Eddie's done a couple of Disney vacations, so he could he could he could go on for hours talking about uh, the world of Disney. So we'll have to we'll have to hand it over to you someday and just let you go on. <laughs> well, we'll have to have a spinoff show. Um, <laughs> we're talking Disney. There you go. That that's, we'll see that's a, I'll see about that. I think there's enough material. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, one of the other things we looked at uh, when Eddie was doing some research, and uh, he kind of took the pulled the train on this one, found something about the look the movies that were made, and the authors didn't quite like how they came out. And you know, it's always one of the things that anybody that even writes an original screenplay or writes a book, and they argue over the. Somebody said, well, if I give you $2 million, will you shut up? And they said, well, give me the $2 million. So don't complain about the movie I make if I pay you this big money up front. And it's kind of like some of the top authors, like a Tom Clancy or so on, once they got paid, you kind of just, Hollywood's going to do with it what they will, and I'll just go on and forget about it. Well, some authors can't do that. So there are some that, and the one, speaking of Disney, I should let you really talk about this because it's Mary Poppins. Uh, P.L. Travers. Mary Poppins is uh, my favorite Disney character. Hmm. I've taken pictures with her oh, in Disneyland. Yeah. Or Disney World, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, well, love Mary Poppins. I liked the original movie. I remember when, obviously I saw it when it came out. And uh, we liked, uh, we talked about uh, Saving Mr. Banks, which is the story of Disney trying to c convince uh, Ms. Travers, please let me do your book. And he she, was he was adamant about. I don't know if the book is how true it is to real life, but the whole reason he wanted to do it because his daughters were begging him to do it. <laughs> exactly, and he said he would treat it just like you know gold or whatever. And anyway, she gave in. And there's a scene in the movie of Mr. Banks where when they show the thing, she's crying, but she sees it. Well, according to the real story, she was crying because she didn't like what they had done with this story. But it's quite interesting because, to borrow a little bit of Eddie's thunder here, I looked up what the, the budget was. They didn't have the figures available on the IMD thing. Oh, really? But it, domestically, it took in $31 million and $102 million lifetime. So it's, you know, it's been rerun and so on. I would think it's fairly successful. I don't know how much that animation and some of the other stuff costs, but I I think in, in those dollar days, oh, back yeah. in 64, they probably made some money off of it. Uh, I don't know that for a fact. I mean, it's still art because at Disney World, oh, she's yeah. there. And actually... And uh, the second movie just came out. And one of their future plans at Disney World is uh, in Epcot, um, they're going to have a Mary Poppins ride or attraction so right they're taking it and running with it so there must be a liking out there for her well another one here i want to want to mention because i read this book and this was a book when i read it uh, way back in the early 70s i left the lights on while i was reading it and that of course is stephen king's the shining now the movie of course was made starring jack nicholson and if you're not familiar with the the book, it's a writer, he gets this gig to watch this old hotel 
during the winter months. It's in a resort area of Colorado, and of course they're snowed in. Nobody comes there because it's not near a ski resort. Anyway, he goes crazy during the thing, basically. And what King was trying to show was the evil, it's an evil place. There are spirits, there are things here that when you're in that building, you become overcome by it. He thought it became cartoonish, and they made it like Jack Nicholson was really over the top. Uh, if anybody's seen the trailer where he chops through the bathroom door trying to get to his wife, and he sticks his head through and says, here's Johnny. I mean, when they play off the old Johnny Carson show, I mean, it was a little campy. And that irritated the heck out of uh, Stephen King. It was later done, he had it done, he called it a big, beautiful Cadillac with no engine inside. And he later worked on another version that appeared on ABC TV in 1997. Uh, the budget for that movie was $19 million, and it grossed $44 million. Yeah, that's a somewhat scary movie, but then the campy thing does pop in there with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, well, the, the book, because there's so much psychological stuff going, when you're reading the book, the most terrifying thing in the book, he keeps writing on this, this is a little bit of a spoiler, the wife, he's writing this novel is what he's supposed to be doing. And every day he's working on the typewriter, typewriter, typewriter. He's pounding away, pounding away. Finally, his wife, who's Shelley Duvall, comes down to see how he's doing. And he keeps repeating the same sentence, page after page after page after page after page. <laughs> All I know is I was so dumbfounded that the term red rum... Red rum. It took me the whole move. I did not realize until they showed it in the mirror what red rum is. Oh, really? Well, I guess maybe. Murder spelled backwards, yes. <laughs> red <Anyway>. rum. <laughs> oh. Those two little girls, right? Were the two yeah, little girls? Yeah. Red rum. Oh, yep, red rum. And then they had the blood coming down the hallway. Oh, was really... I'm going to write a quick one. This is a movie I saw. I didn't read the book. Anne Rice, who's the... Well, one of the queens of uh, vampire books, the interview with a vampire, she did not like what they were doing. She thought the idea of making Tom Cruise Lestat, her main character vampire, was like casting Edward G. Robinson, the late, you know, the, the old actor gangster, as Rhett Butler. But when when she'd seen it, she liked his interpretation. Really? Yeah. It said that she did, but she didn't come to liking how some of her other book, that she wrote something else, Queen of the Damned, which she didn't like. And she felt the films mutilated her books. But she turned around to actually like what Cruz's performance had done. Or, or maybe she liked the money that came. Uh, I think so. Well, we're back again, too. And I, I can guarantee you that her books went up. And by the way, the budget for that film was $60 million, and it grossed, 1994, $105 million. So that was a financial success. Yeah. And let me throw one more out here. And, of course, everybody knows Forrest Gump. And Winston Groom was very upset with the treatment of it, thought it kind of somewhat trivialized it and sanitized the language, and there were some sexual aspects. Was very upset that when it won all these awards at the Academy Awards, nobody bothered to mention his name when they were accepting, since it was based on his book. You go back to complaining... The budget was $55 million. Right. You know how much it grossed? $55 million it cost, I'm going to say $300 million. $329 million. Wow. Now, I got to believe that Tom Hanks had something to do. And it, it, 
again, if you haven't read the book, and I had not read the book, I thought the film worked, although Zemeckis sometimes, his movies, I don't know, Seems make it too saccharine in some cases, yeah. let's put it that way, sweet. <laughs> we do sweet and low, or do we have to do the sweet, real stuff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there's a case. But one of the other things that Groom was upset with, he was promised a 3%, I don't know if it was a gross or something. Apparently, he never got that money. I think I'd be upset, too. Yeah, if you didn't get the money, then I'd be upset. And you didn't mention my name at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Man, you really tramped all over me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I have two more. Oh, I have one that I'll end with because of the difference in the, in the money. Okay. Um, this one kind of goes with the, with the whole author didn't like it. Rolled Doll. Yeah, Rolled Doll. Sounds good. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. He felt that the movie version of his book was crummy. Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka to be pretentious and bouncy. What the heck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> bouncy. <sighs> and though the director had no talent or flair, he vowed, he basically put the kibosh, no one, as long as he's alive, is allowed to take um, the sequel, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, and make it into a movie. So you put the kibosh on that one. <laughs> um, Willy Wonka, of course, uh, and I'm talking about the one in 1971, not the Johnny yeah, Depp version. Yeah, not the Johnny Depp. Uh, and Burton. I don't know who, like, well, I would say there is a listener of ours that I know is a uh, huge Johnny Depp fan, so she probably likes that version, but he's, no one else did. So. He's creepy in that. I, I uh, didn't see that film. I, I know that Gene Wilder went really well, but... Uh, so G Gene Wilder uh, is at, as Willy Wonka, Jack Albertson as Grandpa Joe, mm -hmm. and Peter Ostrom as Charlie. The now this, okay, so this is surprising to me in a, in a sense, but maybe it's whole now it's more of a cult type, not cult, but you know more of a huge following. Yep. Budget was three million, grossed five hundred and twenty-six thousand. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's surprising. Really. Directed by Milster. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now um, there there is one thing that, I didn't think it bombed that badly. I yeah, thought it, I, I thought it was semi-successful. At first, I thought it was five hundred twenty-six million. Yeah, I, thinking, I was like, "Holy cow!" That's what I was waiting for. You said, "Man, that thing was more famous than I thought." But, but it was missing some zeros. <laughs> um, you know, I always look at trivia, and I didn't really do that too much for this one. But I did see this one thing from about Willy Wonka. After reading the script, Gene Wilder said he would take the role of Willy Wonka under only one condition, that he would be allowed to limp and suddenly do a somersault in the scene when he first meets the children. So director Mel Stewart asked why. Wilder replied that having Wonka do this meant that from that time on, no one will know if I'm lying or telling the truth. Stewart asked, if I say no, you won't do the picture? And Walter said, I'm afraid that's the truth. That's a crazy... I, I know which one he's talking about. Because when you first see him, he comes walking out of the chocolate factory. And then he gets up, and then he falls and does a somersault and stands up. Hmm. I remember that scene, but I just thought it was weird that it was the make or break for Gene Wilder to be in the movie. Well, this goes back to what I was talking about, the books earlier. When you read the books about how, what's behind these movies... It is amazing some of the stupid stuff, and I'm saying stupid stuff, that is discussed and decisions are made upon about some of these movies, which is one of the reasons that uh, Clint Eastwood went out and said, 
I can do this better, I can do it faster, and all of his films are under budget. He knew they were wasting a lot of time and it bored him as an actor, wasting his time. I want to go play golf this afternoon. We could have this thing done by noon today. And so all of his movies, he doesn't take multiple takes. If he sees it, he knows when he's seen it. That's it. And that's one of the things that uh, drove him to want to direct because he had ideas. He saw these people, this could be a much better TV show, a much better movie if you just did it this way. Wow. So he had to have, the only way you can do that is to have control. And the only way you can get control is to make enough money, which he eventually did, so he could form his own company and then worry about the money. His, his stuff has won awards. I mean, uh, he's not only won awards, and he's made money. The, that's why they like him. He comes in under budget, and they because of his fame, now they, he's respected as a director, even if he's never acted in his films. And, of course, he's still acting. <laughs> the mule, the guy's 89 years old, and he was just in the mule, you know, that where he's running the drugs. Right. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. my, my last one. Yep. Uh, this kind of goes back to the Disney um, floppers. The reason this caught my eye is because while I was doing some research, this sentence was put with the Black Cauldron. That's the movie I'm talking about from 1985. Mm -hmm. This movie almost killed Disney animation. In 1985... When the, it was announced of a budget of 25, but it grew to 40 million. Um, at that time, it ended up being that was the most expensive animated film ever made. It's based on Lloyd Alexander's fantasy series, The Chronicles of Prydain. And The Cauldrons has scary villains, dark theme, and that earned Disney the first ever Disney movie or animation that was PG rating, right? I have a, it's one of those things where maybe it was bad, I don't know, but when you listen to when it came out, it could be why it didn't make any money. Because uh, it came in fourth when it was at opening day, right? Uh, he was right behind a re release of E.T. The month okay. old Back to the Future was still in the theaters. That's your first, first. Back to the Future, the first mm -hmm. version. Okay, the first episode. Yeah. And at number one uh, at that time at the box office was National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh, jeez. So it ended up... <laughs> ended up <laughs> so the budget was about $40 million. Uh, they made about $21 million. So they mm. actually, uh, you know, a little further in here, it the powers to be at Disney were ticked. They were thinking of closing down animation. Um, maybe it's just too old type of thing. So they got rid of those that were in charge and they hired two guys, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And of course, the rest is history. They did The Little Mermaid, they did Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, Katzenberg, after he left Disney, is now DreamWorks, mm -hmm. Shrek, and all those kind mm -hmm. of things. Uh, uh, Michael Eisner, of course, rose to president, CEO of Disney. And did a lot of great stuff. So I just want to point that out, the Black Cauldron. I've never seen it, but it's... Uh, they burned every copy. I'm sure they <laughs> did. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. You know, interesting. Michael Eisner pops up in the early part of Clint Eastwood's career. Well, he's into the movies already, but... I think Eisner was either at Paramount. He wasn't at Warner's. He was at Paramount. It was Paramount, yeah. And there, I can't remember the movie offhand here that they wanted to mm -hmm. do with 
Eastwood, he and another guy. It wasn't Katzenberg, I don't think. It was another producer. But anyway, it's quite interesting. So Eisner, well, they've been out there. You just know him because he, when he rose to the top. But these guys have been out in the, the fields of the movie realm, just waiting their opportunities. Yeah. Eisner was the it was the one that was trying so hard to get the Muppets and mm. in the beginning. Yeah. And he wanted to have a land and he was responsible for a lot of MGM studios, their theme park, because they came he came over from Paramount and he knew a lot of the secrets of what was gonna happen at Universal. Well all of a sudden some of the same like backlot stuff. Yeah. All um mysteriously was the same <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> but anyways, that's a whole nother story. All right, I'm going to finish. We're going to finish. We're getting closer. I think i got to look at the clock here in a minute. A 1975 film based on a book and a famous play. I saw the play. The play was excellent. The movie's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, swept the Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, that's Nicholson, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Author Ken Kesey, however, he's the one that made up the... Uh, wrote the uh, Kool-Aid acid test. Uh, that's the wrong title, but he's the one that had the painted school bus too. Very active in the, the like the hippie movement. Uh, he he was originally slated to help with the production, but he left after two weeks. Didn't like it. Said he'd never watched the movie. And he was upset it didn't keep the viewpoint of. There's an Indian chief as part of the group. That's because the whole thing takes place in a mental institution, of course. And he said later though, his wife said. Uh, he was glad the movie was made. And I don't know if it was about the money that he got. I don't know what his deal was. But in 1975, the original budget was $3 million because it all takes place in a basically one set. So there's not a lot of, you know, not a lot of stuff going on. Right. And they grossed $108 million. Oh, And this good. is where Michael Douglas got famous as a producer because Michael Douglas was the one that helped drive getting this. Uh, and it was the... Well, I'm not even going to say it because I can see him. I, I can't think of his name right now. The other famous producer that uh, Michael Douglas paired up with. So it was highly successful, but the author didn't like what they did with it. So What's the name of that movie? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Jack Nicholson was the cuckoo, right? Yeah, he was. It, it, McMurtry, it was his name. And he's, he's actually saying they put him in there. And it, it, what his point was, the crazy people aren't in here. The ones that are, they're the ones running the place, basically. It's a very bittersweet film. Uh, it's a bittersweet play. I saw it on the stage, and it was powerful. In fact, when I saw the play, the uh, Louise, what's her name? Uh, you'll find out who played Best Actress. The woman who played Nurse Ratched, the famous Nurse Ratched, on the stage play I saw, when she came out to take her bow, after they're applauding all the other actors and so on, she comes out, the audience went silent. They hated her so much, they had to realize that, wait a minute, he was only acting. And then they went into applause. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in the theater. She was so good to get him to despise her really? that they, they didn't applaud immediately as she came on the stage. They said, oh my God, she was only playing a role. Right. It was great, it was great, it was, uh, it was terrific. Took yep. a look at the Wayback Machine. Yep. And it looks like there were three producers for... Is it Saul Zanz? Is it Saul Zanz? Is it... Saul Zanz is Yeah, that's one. the guy I was thinking, yeah. Martin Fink. Okay. And then Michael Douglas. Yeah, Saul Zanz was the famous one that I knew, and that he took a fly. And, of course, they always like it when they get come up, come up onto the stage and take an Oscar, you know. 
especially if they fought the thing in the beginning. You this, know? this movie had a lot of famous people in it. Oh, yeah. It's a terrific. It went on to... Uh, Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd. Who I can't get enough of. He's yeah. so funny. Oh, he's very good in this one. Yeah. He's That's crazy. Funny. I mean, I... I mean, he plays crazy people in all these other characters anyway. Yeah. Anyway, well, there we go. Eddie, I, you got anything else? Otherwise, what's the clock on the wall telling us? Well, Johnny, looks like it's that time again before I turn it over to you. First, I just wanted to say that the number of our listeners are growing, and it is so humbling that this little podcast where we are simply shooting the breeze like we have a million times over the last four years or so, uh, I just think it's amazing. Um how that's happening. That. Well, I, I know we were big in Boise, but uh, we, we moved up the chart on something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so please continue to tell your family and friends. Anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio. New episodes will drop every Monday. Visit Johnny's blog on our website, we'retalkingmovies.com. There you'll find additional commentary, show notes, and references that were mentioned in the show. The easiest way to subscribe to our podcast is to visit our website, we'retalkingmovies.com, and clicking on the subscribe now button, which is located at the top right of the page. There you'll find a link to your favorite podcast platforms. They're all listed there, and, well, except Pandora. If you have a show idea, or you just want to say, hey, last week's John Wick episode was awesome, which it was, send a comment through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us at wetalkingmovies.com. Also, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash we're talking movies. We would love it if you would like our page. That's it for me. Very good. Yeah, keep those. Keep listening. We appreciate it. And any commentary is definitely appreciated. Well, it looks like that's all for today, folks. Until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again. Set.